0: The Real Chemistry Podcast connects the dots between our guests and the innovative work they do to show up and shape the future of healthcare. Why? So you, the listener, are encouraged to join us on our relentless pursuit to make the world a healthier place for all. Some may call it idealism. We call it Real Chemistry. Good afternoon. I'm Aaron Strout, CMO of Real Chemistry and the host of the Real Chemistry Podcast. And today we have another great episode. I have our chairman and founder, Jim Weiss, who you may have uh, heard on some of our other podcasts, most recently with Dr. Monica Gandhi and also with Dr. Scott Gottlieb. And today he is interviewing uh, a very important man to many of you who are listening in, I'm sure, and that is Dr. Peter Marks, who is a physician, and he is also the director of the Center for Biological Evaluation and Research, uh, otherwise known as CBER, and for those that may not know CBER, I think most of you do, it is the uh, center within the FDA that regulates biological products for human use under applicable federal laws. So any vaccines that have gotten approved and, and the like, this is the guy that does it. Um, today, lots of fascinating conversation. You're going to hear about misinformation during the pandemic and what that means and how to better work as a sponsor with the FDA. And how the FDA thinks about it. Uh, You're going to hear a little bit about the fact that it's crazy that we have the highest death rate in the world in spite of the fact that we have some of the greatest access to vaccines and sort of what the role of some of this misinformation is playing Um, a little bit of fun and a light, you know, how to get the word out there. Dr. Marks uh, let us know that he has actually been on Clubhouse and is doing videos on Twitter. So really trying to meet people where they are, which is so critically important. Um, You'll hear some references to jazz in there and the fact that that what regulators should do is very much like jazz. You have to have a structure, you have to have a format, but some improvisation is uh, welcome. Uh, and then the last, but not least they'll talk about things like accelerated approval, uh, what that means and what focus the FDA has this year. And then also uh, artificial intelligence and how that's helping with the drug creation process and his thoughts on that. So uh, again, fascinating conversation between Jim Weiss and Dr. Peter Marks. We hope you'll enjoy it and uh, listen in. So
1: great to see you, Dr. Marks. Let's just jump in. You know, the pandemic is what it's all about these days, it seems. So, you know, how have you seen the remit of CBER change in the last few years through that period? And are you looking forward to the transition to working alongside the pandemic, which I think we've heard you talking about, as opposed to being dominated by it?
2: Yeah. So, you know, because we had both... uh, convalescent plasma at the start of the pandemic and then vaccines, um, we have been really overwhelmed in some way by uh, pandemic response. The first generation of vaccines. Now we're already talking about a second generation of vaccines or variant vaccines, um, universal coronavirus vaccine. So we're, we're, uh, we've been so vaccine focused, um, nothing wrong with that. Um, but it's, 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 it's actually had to, uh, come at the cost of, uh, de-emphasizing some of the other things that we really love like, uh, cell and gene therapies, which, um, before the pandemic were really on just what I would call a meteoric rise <laughs> at the time. And they've kept on going during the pandemic, but, um, it's slowed down a bit, and we haven't had the same uh, ability to devote attention to them. Uh, and it's also slowed down uh, some of the process of uh, getting feedback back to sponsors of cell and gene therapy. So that I love the analogy, right? Living with the pandemic as opposed to or in the endemic period, or getting back to an endemic period where we're living alongside, um, we'll hopefully be able to get back to getting. Things on track like uh, like cell and gene therapy. I, I I'm kind of kind of hoping that that 22 is a year of kind of conclusion of response and beginning of recovery. Um, so it's kind of the year of response and recovery.
1: That's great. Yeah, response and recovery is terrific. I think let's stay on that. I do want to come back to cell and gene therapy because that's you know an area I uh, in our listeners are very you know interested in but you know we continue to live in an age of misinformation Um, what role should and does the FDA play in awareness and education how important is it to ensuring communications to your mission and do you leave that to the sponsors or do you see benefit working closely with sponsors or more closely than maybe you have um, you know, I've found in my own experience, working closely with you all is better than not. So what are your thoughts about
2: it? Yeah. D- during this pandemic, I think what we've seen is we have to be incredibly careful about our communications. And so to the extent that we work with sponsors to be as coordinated as possible, um, obviously I think our communications at FDA have to be incredibly accurate, truthful, uh, and transparent and, and also accessible, uh, because right now, anything that's not accessible um, ends up being uh, sometimes misused um, in uh, various ways. So it needs to be accessible enough that people can believe what we're saying, take, take it to heart um, uh, and feel confidence in, in what we are communicating about, particularly about vaccines right now.
1: So how should sponsors, you know, work with you better and vice versa? Is there an approach our listeners should take over other approaches? What what have you seen work and not work? I
2: I, I what 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 I've what I've found found seems to work is is the the willingness to be able to uh to share openly. Uh, to discuss issues and and to bring up concerns uh, when they arise, I think has has worked out very well. I mean, we we've, we've worked through that with several sponsors, uh, and I, I think the other thing is just to be uh, a willingness to be open minded. Sometimes when we have concerns, it may they may not seem totally um, tra- you know that that easy to grasp right away, but sometimes our concern is not just one side of the country or the other side of the country, but it's the totality uh, of the country. And sometimes that's that's a challenge. I mean, it is to me. Um, uh, I think the beauty of our country is its diversity. The challenge of our country is its diversity. Um, and for us, we can't ignore it. Um, and we have to do our best to have uh, something that's as important as a Medical countermeasure uh, uh, as vaccines make it to um, all different parts of the country, despite the fact that there are different viewpoints about vaccination in different places. And our goal is to help uh, bring, for instance, for vaccination, it into the most positive light that we can, uh, overcoming some of the barriers that we've had to vaccination. Because it's just, I, I would say, to me, it, 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 my, my heart dropped. Early this week, when I saw the front page of the New York Times and it showed how here in the United States, where we were the leaders in developing um, COVID-19 vaccines, uh, we have among the highest death rates in in the world. And it's solely attributable to the fact that we just don't have the same uptake uh, of vaccines as other it's 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 not attributable to the fact that we have, you know, a more virulent strain of coronavirus you could argue, well, maybe we have people with more comorbidities. But no, it's mainly correlates best with the fact that we just have a lower population of people vaccinated. And the only way I think we'll get there um, is if we chisel away um, by good communications um, at the distrust that's occurred. There's a lot we could spend time talking about that I, I mean, I, I just don't understand some of what we need to do uh, because I don't understand where some of this is coming from. But I do understand that we can get out there and very actively counter misinformation. Like one that I've, uh, I've been out there, you know, when every, every time I, I get the chance on webinars and, and town halls, it's, nope, the vaccines, they don't cause impotence. Nope, they don't cause infertility. Nope, they don't cause you to become paramagnetic nor do they cause you uh, to be able to be tracked by the government. I mean, it's those things that that have just, I mean, it's, and, and it's good because uh, that gets out there, but the other, the other message that I think has done, gone a long way coming from FDA has been, it's okay to have doubts and that it's okay to ask questions because that seems to resonate with people a fair amount. And that actually is a, is a trustworthy message, right? Don't trust me. Trust your doctor. Go ask your doctor about this. You know, um, if you have concerns, don't be bashful about about letting your doctor know your concerns. Even if you might not feel totally comfortable always expressing them, you need to have it. You know, if if it's going to stop you from getting something that's potentially life saving, you got to bring it up. So those have been helpful. Well,
1: sometimes it's the message like you're talking about, and sometimes it's the media. And I know we've got your head of comms, uh, Lori McNeil on here, you know, on by audio, and she may have some thoughts. Is, is there any world where you'd be leveraging TikTok or some of the more mod or, you know, you know, Clubhouse or any of these other places as places you'd go to communicate? So
2: I've, I've been on a Clubhouse talk or two. I actually reached out. It's it's quite quite interesting. Uh, I was on another social media platform with a uh, the Hasidic Jewish community, believe it or not, of all things in Brooklyn. Uh, I and believe I it. was <laughs> shocked when I found out there were like thousands of people on. Uh, pretty funny because I was using a cell phone to access it. I'm not used to uh, large media events uh, via cell phone. Uh, and uh, the agency has tried to be reasonably active with Twitter. Um, they've, we've had these, uh, somebody came up with this idea of kind of these one minute uh, videos that could be uh, video clips that, that I could do. And uh, we've had those and uh, they, they seem, I don't know how popular they are, but they are out there. Um, and we're trying to get out the message any way we can. But I, I agree. I haven't done any TikTok, although I'm sure my daughter would love it if I I did a TikTok or two because she sends, Yep, I, I get them. I, 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 I get her TikToks.
1: <laughs> right, they seem to be quite effective. And, you know, we've talked about that, that meeting people where they are in language and uh, an approach that isn't, I think, accusatory or threatening, but more, you know, hey, let's let's learn together. It's important. and and just continuing to dispel it. Are you getting great feedback? Are you getting more positive reinforcement or are you getting, you know, threats?
2: Uh, we we have both. I think what's happened is we've one of the things that's happened here, I think, and we've seen it. I have to be honest, right? I'd love to say that it's all, Um, it's, it's all roses and puppy dog tails. Um, but as we've kind of gone into, you know, we, initially there was this big rush of people who were desperate for the vaccine. Then came the people who were less, you know, that were less felt less pressure, but, oh gosh, a bunch of people have gotten it. Then we got to some of the people who, oh yeah, I guess I'll get vaccinated, particularly because my employer would like me to. Now we're left with people who really don't like the idea of vaccination for whatever reason. Uh, I think some of it's tied up with civil liberties. You know, that's my my body, I get to do what I want. And uh and some of it um is just fear of of the unknown. Um but uh it it has been interesting because there has been some communities that have really embraced, I mean, I, I have to say I've been impressed. African-American community, they've really embraced trying to get people vaccinated. The American Indian community uh, and the Alaskan Natives, they've really embraced getting people vaccinated in a big way. And I've been so impressed to work with them. Um, and, and they've good, yeah. done exactly, you use the words, Jim, that exactly what they was. They want to meet people where they are. And they've managed to do that. And, and whether that's meeting people where they are in the barbershop, um, or um with tribal elders yeah that's that's where they're that's where they're doing it
1: right in the in the language and culture yeah. they want to communicate right
2: and and i think the the nut that we're having here is that there's this other group of of individuals where it's hard to figure out exactly where to where to meet them and you know i mean some of this i've tried to if, if you can't do it for any other reason do it for patriotism right because if we have a lot of covid 19 going around and we have uh, you know, people dying of this, and it's distracting uh, national attention. We're not as strong as a country, you know. So, do it for that reason. I've tried every in, but it's it's a really it's a challenging nut to crack.
1: Well, it takes a few times. I mean, you and I have been doing this a long time. The normal, you know, time frame for a new modality like this to take hold can be a decade, and I think we both know that this has gone so much faster than you know, not only the development, the onset, the changes, having worked in flu, you know, we still have people resisting flu vaccines. So it's not like we haven't there seen this. I, I I guess I tend to be a tad more optimistic looking at a half glass full. We still have more people going and doing this now. And you mentioned, you know, we work with the Black Coalition on COVID. Um, and, you know, folks that I think do have a more you know I guess urgent view of it but you know at the end of the day I think this concept of accelerating approvals and you know you it's hard to keep up the communications keep up with the advance so I you know I, I know I, I know it's it can get exasperating but I do think it's probably better than you get credit for and at the end of the day you just have to keep communicating so I don't know. If yeah, no, I think I mean, way. I
2: think that that's exactly right. You just there, we have no choice but to keep communicating and uh, uh, and, and hopefully uh, this will this will get through. I, I do think also part of meeting uh, people where they are is we'll, we'll soon have a probably a fuller portfolio of vaccine choices um, that will be uh, hopefully helpful. I know there are people that are looking forward to protein-based vaccines because they're concerned about uh, the mRNA modalities and they, the the side effects or the uh, uncertainty with the uh, adenoviral vectored vaccine. So it may be that that will be a good thing too. So uh, that's again part of meeting people where they are. If they feel more comfortable with the protein-based vaccine and they're willing to take it, great.
1: <laughs> well, let's talk about accelerated approvals. You know, it's another big area of focus. You know, does that does the FDA, you know, do you need to overhaul that approach or is the current approach working? You know, it seems to have gone well for the pandemic, obviously, but, you know, is that something we're going to continue to see improvement? So
2: I I actually think the, so our emergency use uh, authorization authority, I think has been, I, I, in retrospect, as I look at this, it is one of the better crafted authorities that Congress has given us that, is remarkable because of the latitude it gives us to respond to an incredibly wide variety of uh, potential emergencies with the flexibility to do what's best for public health. And I think, so I, when I've been asked, you know, do we need to change anything with that? It's like, no, please don't, please don't mess with something because when something is actually working this well, just, you know, don't leave well enough alone. In terms of transitioning these products over, I think we've we've known we've had to transition them over to um, fully approved products. They're they're mostly transitioning over to to fully approved, full approval, traditional approvals. Um, We could potentially use accelerated approvals if we had to uh, for things, and that might happen in the future if we start to uh, use surrogate endpoints, you know, such as immunogenicity, Um, uh, but... We'll just have to take each case as it comes. I I actually think our accelerated approval authority, again, is also remarkably flexible and it gives us a lot of room to move in the United States. You know, we hear people sometimes saying, oh, we need more, you know, we need to go be able to go further or this or that. I think we actually have a a lot of creativity uh, that we can uh, bring to this. It's just a matter of how creative we want to be uh, in, in applying it. Um, I, 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 view a lot of r- regulation uh, to me is not, it's a little bit like jazz music. It's got a form and <laughs> we, we, you, you it's can improvisational
1: you can some, Well, it's improvisational yeah, yeah, based on improvisation
2: right here and there to fit the, fit the, uh, to fit the music that you're playing at the time. So sometimes we have to improvise a little bit, but we're, we're within a form. Okay. I mean, we're not going to go outside. I, I mean, just so you understand, it's we, we still have to, at the end of the day, make sure that we meet our um our standards for safety and effectiveness. But there's a lot of there's a lot of room that's been given us to get there. And we owe it to the, you know, the literally millions of people out there with rare diseases and more common diseases to be able to get them treatments um, that meet our safety and effectiveness standards as rapidly as we can.
1: Well, yeah, I, you know, you talked about improvs, so we'll go back to cell and gene therapy. You know, the last couple of years have been marked by delays and surprises around, you know, CAR-Ts and cell therapy and, you know, other new gene therapies for sickle cell and, you know, on and on. Um, You know, but obviously some big strides forward. What do you see as the opportunities and hurdles to getting the next generation of therapies over the line?
2: Right. Great, great question. I, I actually think, so the opportunities we have right now are that that I see coming out of that because they've become all the more apparent during the pandemic. The opportunities that we have are to, uh, one is in the, the production of the products themselves to improve our manufacturing processes uh, so that uh, we do not have delays that come into cell and gene therapy um, uh, production due to the need for constant changes in manufacturing or updates that um, uh, between generations of products that are used, for instance, in the clinic and then commercially. So hopefully um, uh, that manufacturing issue can be dealt with. And then the other piece that I think will be the next kind of quantum leap is, is how we start to make the link between... Accelerated endpoints and our our ability to get these gene therapies across uh, the finish line for uh, uh, into the market. So uh, I think everyone was hoping we would see that to be the case with the hemophilia gene therapies because gosh, it's just a level, and and we should be able to get there. And then we unfortunately found out that the levels didn't correlate perfectly with what we knew to usually be our levels. I mean, I'm a a hematologist-oncologist and I'm pretty familiar with hemophilia. And unfortunately, that didn't, you know, that that would have been really a nice thing had it worked. But there are probably going to be other places where we are going to have the right correlation, hopefully, uh, enzyme replacements, et cetera, where maybe we can start to be able to use accelerated approval endpoints to move some of these therapies for rare diseases forward more rapidly. Uh, particularly in places where it could otherwise take several years to get to uh, the clinical endpoint that uh, you, you, you'd you need in trials.
1: All right. So there's certainly opportunity. There's a lot of improvisation required here, but you're you're optimistic. We'll, we'll keep moving in the right direction. We both were around in the era of Jesse Gelsinger. So we know, you know, we, we can absolutely get further there. Right. And there was we, some great we, encouraging made, CAR-T data right, recently.
2: We, We've made tremendous progress. we've made tremendous progress, and I actually think you know some people say, "Well, oh my goodness, we're starting to see all these toxicities I, i'm not that I'm not that worried about what we're seeing because what we're starting to see is that we're actually using gene therapies now in larger numbers of people, and that means you're going to see um, adverse events. I'm sorry to say that's just what the nature of things are, and it's our incumbent upon us to further refine these therapies either. The therapies themselves, or how the therapies are deployed, so that we reduce uh, those adverse uh, consequences and we amplify the benefits of these. So um, I think you know, gene therapy to me has an incredibly shiny future with it, uh, and you can see that from where we've already started to have some really nice home runs. I mean, when you think about uh, onasemnogene for uh, for a spinal muscular atrophy type one. To see a child alive and running around when we know they would have been dead and gone uh, because of a gene therapy, that's just, you know, to me, that's just, you know, makes me, it takes my breath away a little bit and it makes me excited about getting up tomorrow and, you know, what helping move forward, what's coming down the pipeline. line. So, um, yeah.
1: Good optimism and hope there. So can you talk quickly, you know, since I'm out in the Silicon Valley here uh, in San Francisco, so the building of therapeutics using artificial intelligence, uh, new technologies, you know, based on a person's genomic and proteomics details, you know, how promising do you see that? I mean, we don't have too many yet, though. Uh, it looks like we're right on the cusp like we used to be in targeted cancer therapy with herceptin right so um wh- where do you think we are there
2: so, so we're we're on the cusp of seeing ai really uh, uh, you know i think ai has the potential to bring a tremendous benefit to a number of different aspects of drug development and uh, not just coming up with the drugs themselves right so that that's that may be part of it right looking at being able to see things that just we can't see right? because we just don't have the ability to try um, 45 billion different combinations and uh, and figure out uh, which is best, but also to help us in our manufacturing by taking the tremendous amounts of data that we can now get from sensors that are in manufacturing processes and help us to understand why You know, sometimes people would say, well, oh, our bioreactor tends to, we tend to have better yields at X time of year and nobody understood why, right? But now we might actually figure out that, well, it's because the humidity is X and the barometric pressure is Y because you could feed all that data in through AI and actually get out uh, an analysis that will find things that we just can't find right now because that doesn't, doesn't, just doesn't make sense to us right because we can't make the connection. So, I think there's there's multiple streams here and we're on the cusp of this. I don't think it's that far off. I think maybe this may also be one of these Moore's law phenomena that we're, you know, that we'll see it really take off in the not too distant future.
1: Well, it feels like the proliferation of companies focused on it, you know, clearly people are getting it. So to your point, you know, there's going to be a point where, you know, we do push through and you and I again, have been around when things like antibodies and immunotherapy were, you know, unheard of and, you know, no way is that going to break through. And now it's standard. Um, So the FDA over the past 10 years and during COVID, you know, you've enabled tremendous scientific progress and investment in life-saving medicines. Um, You know, so for our audience, a lot of them want to know, is this going to continue? You know, is that climate going to continue depending on, does it matter who's in charge of it necessarily? You know, if that's Dr. Caliph or somebody other than Dr. Califf, uh, you know, there's some question as to whether this will continue or it'll be, you'll become more conservative. Um, what do you, what do you say to that?
2: Uh, what I would, what I would guess I would say is that at least from the standpoint of our center the goal is to be um, really leaning in forward for patients with diseases in need. And that means that, uh, you know, it, it means continuing to be out there and doing our best to get therapies through the process. And I I mean, I don't know what, I mean, liberal or conservative, I don't know what to say, because to me, if, as long as we are continuing to get through safe and effective therapies, that is, you know, they meet our approval standard. We should be moving them forward. And, and that's what we should want for our, you know, what we should want are, 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 th- are therapies that are safe and effective. And it's true that for some of the very small populations, there may be more uncertainty simply because if you can only test something in 20 people because only a 100 people have the disease in the world, you're not going to have the same certainty as if you can test it in, uh, in uh, hundreds of millions of people like we can the coronavirus vaccines in terms of. Uh, who are getting them and getting real world evidence. So it's, it is, it is something that we do. I think for us to have a vibrant workforce, we do always have to have, I think if we really want to continue to attract the best talent, we're going to have to be working on really interesting uh, problems, which are really novel medicines uh, to treat, you know, to treat unmet medical needs. And existing, you know, existing things as well. But obviously, meeting unmet medical needs is is something we we all feel uh, compelled as part of our mission to do. Right.
1: So investors should keep investing, and companies should keep working hard. And <laughs> you know, don't don't worry about don't worry about it. That our regulators get it, and you know, they they want to see us succeed.
2: Well, I you know I think you know even if even if so yesterday I was testifying before. Uh, Congress for the for the reauthorization of the user fees. And I, I think both sides of the aisle get it, that we are a biologic life sciences engine in the United States. And we have an important part of that here um, at FDA of being part of that ecosystem uh, and facilitating that. And I don't think anyone wants to uh, essentially kill the engine.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. So speaking of that, you know, we've all been working remotely. Do you see a world where we're going to have ad comms again that are live or are they always going to be virtual? Are we going to come no, back I, together? I, I,
2: so, so I, I, my crystal ball doesn't know exactly when, okay. I, 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 my crystal ball is a little murky on that, but I, I see, I, I see us hopefully, you know, the reason why I'm trying to be optimistic about a year of response and recovery is I, I, I'm willing to, to go out on a limb and say that, you know, I, I kind of see a, a, a you know, a 90, 95 percent chance that hopefully as we come into summer, we're starting to get into the endemic phase of this. And we're living alongside of small outbreaks of coronavirus needing to deal with uh, the potential for things to, to break out. But bot- bottom line, getting by mostly. We are going to always have to be vigilant um, for that five or 10 percent chance. Which could happen sooner, so it could happen this spring. That's why I'm saying it's 90, 95, because there is that small chance that we could have another pandemic strain, could be a descendant of beta or something that we're not highly immune to that could come around again. But I, I think that's a small chance, and you know, we'll just have to see. We'll have to probably move into a period where we're living with living alongside this with the same kind of pandemic preparedness. You already mentioned influenza. It'll be kind of like like influenza. We have this kind of seasonal uh, influenza. We'll have kind of seasonal coronavirus and always have to be ready for a pandemic uh, outbreak of it uh, with uh, a rapid immunization program
1: but so much better prepared. So once this pandemic is less of a consideration in that way, and it's endemic and we're more free to move about, uh, where's the first place you're going to go and, uh, what are you going to do?
2: Oh, when we can move about again, you know, uh, i it would be nice to be nice to to go to a gym without uh having to worry about things and to be able to be unmasked and you know just actually like exercise without uh <laughs> normally um and and it would be nice to go to a nice restaurant and and enjoy a nice meal without you know worrying so i I don't know there's so many different things that that uh, will be nice to do we're we're you know this has been. You know, no one should underestimate the the toll that this has taken on the psyche of everyone. Right? It, we are, we're we're social animals. We've this has been a, a really challenging thing uh, for for all of us uh, to deal with. And I and I actually think that some of what we see, uh, just to to kind of be philosophic for a moment, some of what we see with even the some of the anti-vaccine stuff that comes up, I think it's a it's a reaction to this incredibly stressful situation that we've been in it's so challenging for us as, as the social beings that we are.
1: Right. And I know you're you at the FDA are collaborating with industry on, you know, mental health, uh, you know, solutions and new drugs and new things that will help us climb out of this. And uh, we're looking forward to doing that with you. Look, thanks so much for spending this time with us. We really commend you for being on that line and getting us this far and appreciate all the work uh, FDA is doing and look forward to continuing to collaborate with you uh, on all these exciting future developments. So, uh, you know, I hope we get to do some more discussions, Dr. Marks, but we're happy to uh, to work with others on the team. And thanks, Lori, for the access and uh, let's keep the dialogue going. Yeah,
2: thanks so much.
0: Want more episodes of the Real Chemistry Podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Stitcher app, or iHeartRadio via the Health Podcast Network. Go to realchemistry.com for more info.